Larry King was once asked who he would most want to interview if he could choose from all of human history. Larry King said that he wanted to interview Jesus Christ. The questioner then asked, and what would you like to ask him? I would like to ask him if he was really indeed the virgin born. He said the answer to that question would define history for me. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? If you were to interview him, would you have the same approach that Larry King, the answer to that question that you would ask him would define for you history? It's interesting that in our world today, people have what we call a worldview. And a worldview is nothing more than a particular philosophy of life or how we view the world around us. What is your worldview? If somebody were to ask you a question about what you believe and what's of value to you, what would you say is your worldview? There are some that call this our ideology of what our thoughts and our ideas are. It's a system of ideas or thoughts or ethics or morals that develop and point us in the direction of why we do what we do. What's your ideology? How do you perceive the world around you? Maybe the question of our philosophy of life, our worldview, our ideology is really connected to our perspective of heaven. Is there even a God? Do we believe that God exists? And what about God? And what about Jesus Christ? This morning, we begin an, a new series as we begin a new year from the pulpit. And I'm excited to start this morning a new series entitled The Great I Am. As we look at the book of John, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is a book that describes for us and helps us answer the question of who Jesus Christ is. In fact, over the next couple of weeks, Jesus makes some phenomenal statements about who he is. He says things like this, I am the bread of life in chapter 6, verse 35. He says, I am the light of the world in chapter 9, verse 5. He says about himself that he is the door in chapter 10, verse 7 and 9. He makes a statement like this, I am the good shepherd in chapter 10, verse 11 through 14. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, chapter 14, verse 6. And then he says in chapter 15, I am the true vine. We find these I am statements in the book of John where he states, this is who I am. And he proclaimed himself to the nation of Israel and to the world about who he was. The four gospels especially, the four gospels including John, give us and help us develop our worldview. And so hopefully over these next eight weeks, I'm hoping that you and I will be able to study the scriptures and 
help define and maybe press even deeper into our understanding of our worldview and how Christ becomes a part of that. Hopefully, even after today, at the end, I'm going to challenge us to put Christ in the center of our worldview. Not just a part of our worldview, but the center of our worldview. And to make him the focal point of our life. I believe that that's what God the Father wants from all of us. And so this morning, we begin this new series, and I'm going to start with you in a very awkward place. A place that you would say, why would we start in the book of Ezekiel? But I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to this Old Testament prophet, the book of Ezekiel chapter 1. Because in this passage of Scripture, the heavens are pulled back, and we find that Ezekiel sees something that is of heavenly perspective that has an influence on our earthly perspective. Look at Ezekiel chapter 1. In chapter 1 of verse 1, we're told here in the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kber River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. So Ezekiel here tells us right up at the very start in chapter 1 verse 1, that the heavens are opened up and Ezekiel sees something that is outside of this world. He sees the heavens. And what does he see? Skip down to verse 4. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal. And in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces with four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like bronzed bronze. Verse 8, under their wings, on their four sides, they had the heads, uh, the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead, and they did did not turn as they moved. Now look at verse 10. Their faces looked like this, and here's what I want you to notice in this passage. Each of these four had the face of a man, and on the right side each had a face of a lion, and on the left the face of an ox. Each also had the face of of an eagle. I want you to notice that verse and just pay close attention to these four faces that are noticed on these, what we know to be cherubs, or they are angels that surround the throne. And these angels have faces that represent these four. Skip down in the text for just a moment and go down. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but look at verse, uh, verse 25. Then there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads, these four angels, as they stood with lowered wings. Above the expanse over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. 
Verse 27, I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds of a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of the one speaking. And now, Ezekiel will continue with what he saw as he continues his book. I want you to notice here, though, what he saw is that he saw the heavens open, and he saw what very few human eyes have seen. The heavens with these angels surrounding the one who is in the middle. And who is this one in the middle? I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn over to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Another passage of Scripture that is parallel to what we see here in Ezekiel chapter 1. In fact, I would encourage you sometime, if you're an artist and you do well at drawing... Take Ezekiel 1 and draw that picture, what you see described in Ezekiel 1, draw it on a piece of paper. I did that years ago, and it was phenomenal to just try and visualize, to see what Ezekiel saw in that vision. Here's what Revelation chapter 4 says, and it's almost similar to what we find in Ezekiel. Remember that John, the Gospel of John, or not John, but the one that wrote Revelation, John, sees the heavens open here in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Let's begin reading chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carmelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like that of a lion. The second, like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with eyes all around, even under his wings, day and night. They never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive honor and glory and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Do you see the resemblance here, my friends? 
when we see Ezekiel chapter 1, the faces that are described there, and Revelation chapter 4, the faces are the same. And what Jesus, what John sees here in the throne and what Ezekiel sees here in the throne, we believe is the one who came virgin born from heaven, left heaven, and for those some 33 years, the angels did not see the one who was in the center. The one that they worshipped, he was gone. Where was he? He was on earth. And the gospels describe for us beautifully four different perspectives of who this one is. I don't believe it's by chance that we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because those four gospels present to us the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. Let me just share with you a couple of thoughts here before we get into the book of John. When we look at the book of Matthew, we see that Matthew describes Jesus as the one who is the lion from the tribe of Judah. He is the one that comes as the king over Israel. He is the one who is the Messiah who will rule and reign not only over Israel, but over all the earth. Israel is the tool that will be the blessing that will bless the rest of the nations. And Matthew describes for us beautifully the fact that Jesus Christ is the lion. He's the one that's going to rule the kingdom. The great king over all of the kingdom. Jesus Christ. When we come to the book of Mark, we find that Mark describes him as the servant. Jesus goes from place to place serving the needs of people that he comes in contact with. And one of the key verses in Mark's gospel is Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where the Bible says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The ox was used to serve and to pull and to carry things. And the ox in the first century was something that was used that met the needs of others. Jesus is described in the book of Mark as a servant. When we come to the book of Luke, we find that Luke gives us this perspective that he is a fully human being. He's fully man. In fact, Luke is a doctor. Luke was a physician. He knew the human body. That's what he studied. And so Luke describes for us in beautiful detail who Jesus Christ is. He was fully man, not just part. He was fully man in every element in which you and I are human. Jesus Christ was human. And Luke describes for us this beautiful aspect that he was human. Yes, Luke also describes the fact, Larry King, that he was virgin born. And Luke describes it this way. He says, but God can do the impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. So God, sending his son Christ, left human, left heaven and became human, and he dwelt among us. 
God becoming human flesh. And then we come now to the book of John. We find that John is going to give us the fact that Jesus Christ is fully God. And deity is often used by way of the eagle. The eagle describes for us the fact that this wonderful domestic bird that flies over all describes for us the fact that Jesus Christ is fully God. And so as we turn our Bibles and we turn our attention to the Gospel of John, let's turn to John chapter 1. And let's begin our study here as we look at John's Gospel describing for us the fact that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. We find here in John chapter 1, verse 1, that John begins his writings from eternity past. John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we find here that John begins from eternity past. Notice verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Singular. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word here is going to be Jesus Christ. God has spoken a word of revelation to humanity. Just one word. And John is going to describe later on in the book that there is not enough books to describe this one word that God reveals through his son. He speaks one word, and there aren't enough books to describe this one word. Who is he? Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. The word became flesh. There's the incarnation. God became human flesh. The one who was from eternity past. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. There's a pluralness within the Godhead here that John is making reference to. And we find here in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, that Jesus Christ, the word, is eternal. He's existed from times past. There has not been a beginning with Jesus Christ. What we saw in Ezekiel was before he became human flesh. The crowns that were around the throne, the angels that were around the throne, were worshiping this one who sat in the middle, who was full of fire. Now he becomes human flesh. John describes for us the fact that he is from eternity past. Look at verse 3. But he's also the creator. Through him all things were created. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus Christ is our creator. The Father and the Son and the Spirit were all involved in creation. But without his involvement there would be no creation. Jesus Christ was part of that creation process. He's the creator, John says. Look at verse 4. In him was life, 
And that life was the light of men. We want life, we turn to Christ. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome. From the very beginning in John's gospel, we find that John describes for us the eternity of this being who is the word who became flesh. Take your Bibles and turn over to another passage in John's gospel. As we look at some of the themes of this book, look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 49. As we go through this book over the next couple of weeks, we're going to find some themes that are going to be consistent with the gospel of John. John, who is one of the disciples here, is writing for us to understand who this one is that he had contact with. Look at how John chapter 8 describes the encounter that Jesus had with some of the religious Pharisees of the day. In John chapter 8, verse 48, the Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Now, the religious leaders of that day came to the point where they thought that Jesus had lost his mind, that he was off of his rocker, and they thought he was demon-possessed because of some of the teachings that he was giving. And look at how Jesus responds. I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. He's referring to the Father. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, verse 52, at this the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? What a great question. Who do you think you are? That's a great question for you and I to answer. That's what John is trying to help us answer. Jesus replied, verse 54, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father whom you claim is your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I, do know, I, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Verse 57, you are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Watch out. Watch what he says here. I tell you the truth. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. That statement, friends, is full of Old Testament connections. The Jews knew exactly what he was saying because when the Jews went back to their history books, they knew that when Moses came out and that he had that burning bush experience and when Moses asked the question, who am I talking to? Tell me what your name is. God says to him, I am. And what Jesus says here, my friend, is phenomenal when it comes to our worldview. Because who does he claim to be? He's claiming to be God. And notice what the Jews do, because the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. Look at how they respond. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. They knew exactly what he was saying. He was claiming to be God, and that was blasphemy in their ears. How dare you say that? We're going to stone you to death. That's what they were going to do. 
my suggestion to us as we open the pages of the Gospel of John is if we miss anything, if we miss this fact that Jesus Christ is presented here in the Gospel of John as being fully God. And because of that, it has deep implications for your philosophy of life and for our philosophy of life and for the world's philosophy of life because through him and in him and by him are all things. It is because of him that John wants us to grab hold of this truth. Don't miss it. That's the purpose behind why he writes this book. In fact, let's go to the very end of the book. Look at John chapter 21. There's 21 chapters in this great book. John chapter 21, verses 24 and 25, the last two verses of the book. I want you to notice where it ends. You see the beginning. You see some of the middle. Look at the end now of this book. Verse 24, it says, This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. Who is the disciple here? It's John. John is the one who's writing this gospel. In fact, that's why we call it John, because we believe that he was the author of this book. And notice here that in verse 24, he doesn't call himself out, but he does say that the the disciple who testifies to these things wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Verse 25, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So John tries to capture for us some of what we need to see by way of the Holy Spirit's work because the Holy Spirit has, is the author of the scriptures, leads John to write for us the fact that here's the eagle, here's God, here's the one that has become human flesh. Yes, we see that through the other gospels. We see the four different ways in which the gospels present. But John wants us to grab hold of the fact that this is God. We, my friends, are on holy ground on planet Earth. When he stepped his first step onto planet Earth, the Earth has never been the same. And we are now on holy ground, not here in this church, but the ground that we walk on, the ground that we live on, the place that we work, the place that we move, all that we are in planet Earth has been invaded by God and he has redeemed it by his death. And we're going to find that John is going to present this wonderful truth about who Jesus Christ is. I want to close with a couple of thoughts from this passage. And this is my passage for us this morning. We're only going to take a couple of moments to look at it. But these introductory comments hopefully will give you some insight as to where we're going over the next couple of weeks. So that we will have some sense of the Spirit's movement in our congregation as we move together through the book. I don't believe it's by chance that God would lay upon our hearts to study together a portion like this, and I believe that God is leading us into this book. So over these next couple of weeks, this is kind of introductory material for us to say, here is John's presentation of Jesus Christ. Notice also that when I use the term Jesus, I want you to know that when we talk about Jesus, we want to always use the full name of Jesus Christ We recognize him as Jesus Christ because it's the full man God. When we refer to to him just as Jesus, we refer to him as the man. 
but we don't see him only as the man. We see him as the God man. So we call him Jesus Christ. We call him the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord is going to be interesting because when we put him as Lord, that demands something of your life and my life. Do we in our worldview call him the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the question I'm going to have for us over the next eight weeks. Is he just Jesus? Is he just Christ? Is he Jesus Christ to you? Or is he the Lord Jesus Christ? And that will make a world of difference as to how we live. But let's look at one last passage of Scripture. Our text for this morning is John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Would you take turn back just one chapter, just five minutes. I'd like to share with you a couple of thoughts from this passage of Scripture. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Notice here that John says in verse 30, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I want you to notice that in verse 30 here, that John makes reference to the fact that there are some miraculous signs that he makes reference to in this book. It's interesting that in this book, in fact, let's go back just for a moment. Look at John chapter 2, verse 11. Look at John chapter 2, verse 11. The very first sign that is recorded in this gospel is the miracle where Jesus turns the water into wine. Why would Jesus do that? Why does he turn water into wine at a wedding feast of all things? Look at John chapter 2, verse 11. This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Canaan in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. The Jews were looking for a feast, a wedding feast that the Old Testament prophets prophesied that their Messiah would come and it would be like a wedding feast where the nation of Israel would sit down with their Messiah and they would celebrate together in this coming kingdom. Why does he turn water into wine? It has ramifications for their coming kingdom. Water into wine, the Old Testament prophets would use this. This idea of the new kingdom that would come, it would be like new wine that would drip from the branches. And so some of the Old Testament prophets, the language that the Jews were looking for, had some of this connection to it. And Jesus comes and he turns water into wine. The Jews, they should have looked at this sign and said, what is it about this man? This was the first. And notice here that John says this is the first of this miraculous signs. Look at John chapter 4, verse 54. Here's the second sign that Jesus does. And it's listed for us because we're told in the text, John chapter 4, verse 54. Go back to verse 53. Then the father realized that he was the exact time at which Jesus has said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This is the miracle here where Jesus heals the officer's son. The officer comes to Jesus and said, my son is sick, he's dying. Would you heal him, Jesus? And Jesus does. He says, by way of just the spoken word, he says to the father, your son will live. But he's not in the presence of the son. 
the father goes back to the son and he puts the time frame together and he realizes that at the very time that Jesus said your son will live was the time that his son became well. And look at what the Bible says here in verse 54. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed having come from Judah to Galilee. It seems like the signs here that Jesus does are numbered by John, one, two, and then what we find, look at the next passage of Scripture. We find in John chapter 6, verse 14. Look at John chapter 6, verse 14. Jesus heals 5,000 people by breaking bread. And it says here, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. So now they're starting to put the pieces together. Is this the prophet? Is this the Messiah? Jesus will eventually ask his disciples, who do you say I am? Because disciples, whatever you say to that question is going to have ramifications on your worldview. And so they're starting to put the pieces together. And we're going to find here that John doesn't number beyond this. He numbers the first sign. He numbers the second sign. And now there's going to be a number of miracles that Jesus is going to perform through the gospel of John. So that when we come back, let's go back now to John chapter 20. Look at what we see. John chapter 20 verse 30, we're told Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. As we go through this book, we're going to find out that Jesus is going to proclaim truth by his teaching, and then he's going to do a miracle to verify the truth of what he said. This was true of Old Testament prophets. I've got a message for you, Old Testament prophets. They would proclaim the truth, and then the Jews require a sign. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. Jews require a sign. Show us. And so he shows them with signs. He raises the dead feeds the 5,000, turns water into wine. Why does he do that? To show the Jews the miraculous signs that this is their Messiah. So these miraculous signs become very significant as we read through the Gospel of John. Notice the second thing about this passage of Scripture in John chapter 20. Jesus did many miraculous signs which are not recorded in this book, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe. So we find, secondly, that these are written down for us. The recorded writing down of what Jesus Christ did. John was a first-hand witness of Jesus Christ. This John lived with Jesus for three years. John, the, the disciple, is the one who wrote this. He lived with Jesus for three years. He was one of the 12. And what does he do? He writes down for us what he saw through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the third thing I want you to notice about this verse 31. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Here's the whole purpose behind John's gospel. The word believed is used over and over. Some a hundred times the word believe is going to be used in the gospel of John. Believe. Believe. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Does it just mean that we nod our heads and say, yeah, I, I think I believe that, and then it doesn't affect our worldview? I believe that John is writing here, and God wants us to have a worldview that will say, we believe 
that Jesus Christ is God. We believe fully that he is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will follow him. We will do what he does. We will do whatever he asks of us. We will become his disciples, his servants. We become Christians, Christ-like ones. And when we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we will experience life. You want life? You want to taste what real life is? Friends, it's not in this world system. Some of us are still searching. We think that education is life. It's not. We think that climbing the ladder of our success to get to the top, that's not where life is. We think that by getting married and having the, the joy of having family is where life is. That's not where life is. And all of the things that we sometimes pursue in life, we don't find the center. We don't find the focal point. What is your worldview? Is Jesus Christ the one that you say, I believe? John 3.16, we quoted it this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes, there's the word. What does that mean? What does that look like? I encourage you that belief is more than just mental assent that says, yeah, I agree with that. It means that we take that belief and we put it into our worldview and it becomes a part of our DNA. It becomes a part of every part of our aspect of life. To believe on him means that he is our Lord and our Savior. It begins by acknowledging the fact that he's our Savior. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he is the one that you put your faith and your trust in? And then, if you've taken that step of faith, what does it mean to say I believe in him and does it mean that it affects, how does it affect my life in every area of it? John Lennon was quoted as saying that Christianity will shrink and vanish. Not so. Christianity is going to be around for all eternity. You know why? Because the head, Christ, is eternal. And he's going to be here forever. And so the church, I believe, will be here on earth, but there will also be the heavens that will be affected. And our first step is, individually, have we taken that step of believing that Christ died for our sins? These are written that you might know, that I might know, that he is our Lord and Savior. Have you taken that step of belief? It's all about him. Put your faith and your trust in Christ this morning. Let's go into the journey of the great I am over these next few weeks. And let's press deeper and go further into the heart of God like we've never gone before to find out who is this one that we follow. He's out of this world. Let's pursue him. Let's bow our hearts and our heads in a word of prayer, shall we? Our Father, thank you this morning for the joy of what has been written and recorded for us in this great book, the Scriptures. Thank you for this proclamation of truth from these four different perspectives. May the Gospel of John for us, Father, become the heartbeat of our existence that we can answer the question, who is this one? with boldness and with assuredness that he's our Lord, he's our Savior. He died on the cross for our sins. And we believe that our sins have been paid for in full. And we follow him. 
Father, empower us to that end. Thank you for the privilege. May these next few weeks be honoring to you. May you take pleasure in them as we exalt your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.